You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins. Welcome, all you wiretappers out there, to this uh, second installment of the Pizza Connection story. Uh, I'm here on the Skype and telephone with my good friend Cam Robinson from Munster, Indiana. Uh, Cam is a screenwriter and a mob historian and has been an immense help. I didn't give you much credit last time, Cam, about all the help you've done, uh, been to me on uh, finding uh, mob history, but, uh, and, and you're, <laughs> you're a good researcher too, man, I tell you what. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think we, uh, we complement each other well. I admire your research skills. Everybody can't do that, I know. It takes a lot of, uh, Patience and, and uh, ingenuity, and and just keep looking and keep looking and find those uh, unusual things. Uh, mm-hmm. Were you the one that found the New Yorker article uh, by Pelleggi on uh, um, who was that on? That was you, uh, Cantalupo. Cantalupo. We got to do that story on, on yeah. Cantalupo. And, and, uh, did, I, did I send you the video of him talking? Yeah, with his, yeah, that yeah, accent yeah, of his yeah, when yeah. He's, he's just telling those damn yeah, stories, just one. laughing. Yeah. It's a good one. <laughs> He's supposed to be. He's still around somewhere. He's still breathing yeah, somewhere. I find him. I haven't had much luck doing that. But uh, anyhow, uh, the one guy I found was uh, <laughs> was a lawyer, Bob Cooley, from up in Chicago. I found him, got him on the phone, and I listened to him tell me stuff for like an hour. Finally, I said, "Well, you, you know, can I record you and be on the podcast?" Oh no, no. And I, you know, when I get a book ready and ready to go, why? And he's got one out there. I don't know what he meant, but yeah. It's, uh, I don't know. Yeah, Bob Cooley's got he's a book. Got, I know, he's got a book. Of when he wanted to promote it or something, I, I don't know. The only thing he asked me is if I knew how he could find an agent. So <laughs> I would say maybe times weren't so good for Mr. Cooley. <laughs> Cam, it was strange. I never got a word in edgewise. I just, no, he, I, 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 had, I, I finally had to interrupt him. After about 45 minutes, I had to interrupt him in order to say, okay, wait a minute. (laughs) Mob lawyer is not known for being, not known for brevity. (laughs) I'm a lawyer. I'm just not a mob lawyer. Yeah, mob lawyer, not known for brevity. I'm a city court lawyer. Right. As city court lawyers, we're not so uh, long-winded. We go in and say, hey, can you make a deal for me? (laughs) Get this broken down to a non-moving violation. (laughs) (laughs) I ain't never going to the Supreme Court. <laughs> Although one quick lawyer story, I did have a case that went to the appellate court. And I had to go do a, a, a do an appellate brief, which is really hard, and I had to do argue standing up in front of three judge panel, argue my case, and for about fifteen minutes on each side, and I won. No and, shit. And, and in the and in the order, they specifically said that the defendant shall pay. The plaintiff, who was my client, was a plaintiff, and the court uh, lawyer's fees. And, and you know that's gold, man. That is yeah. gold. <laughs> oh yeah, just, fee just went up. Yeah, and, and <laughs> my, my, my triple the hourly fee. He actually had money to pay too. He didn't file bankruptcy right away. I had a couple, three of those deals where they filed bankruptcy mm-hmm. right away. And uh, then, I mean, that happened to me more than once because it's kind of law I did. But anyhow, I, I digress. We're talking about the mafia. So, uh, we're, we're going into this path of the pizza connection, which is one great story, and it's one hell of an investigation. That uh, agent, Carmine Russo, 
Man, he did a hell of a job. I mean, he was, uh, it was unbelievable what he did. He reminded me of Bill Owsley here in Kansas City. You know, Bill was the same way with the, the skim trial. He was the case agent. He knew everything about that huge, big, complex investigation that, that had multiple wiretaps, you know, maybe had as many as 15 or 20 here in Kansas City at one time and had them in, in uh, you know, Los Angeles, not Los Angeles, uh, San Diego, Las Vegas, uh, Chicago, Cleveland, Milwaukee, and and it involved and all these you know what four Midwest families. Hell yeah! And, and, and he had to stay on top of that and put it all together and and listen to the the pertinence from the wiretaps each night and say here's where we need to go next and and then put together the affidavits for the next wiretap and oh it was unbelievable it was you know it was his whole life for about three four years that's all he did was that thing. But anyhow, we're we're talking about the pizza connection, and and I digress into people that I know. Uh, Tommaso Buchetta. I think that's the correct Buchetta. 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 Okay. Uh, Tommaso Buchetta. He was a high-ranking member of the Sicilian Mafia, and he was connected to this Gaetano Badalamente, who helped establish these partnerships from Sicily to, with the American Mafia to bring in heroin from the Mideast through Sicily, through Montreal, and down into New York City. And, you know, we belabored that before. We won't do it anymore. You know, this Gaetano Badalamente with Buchetta, they, they had this international, they were transnational criminals is what they were. And yeah. they spanned six continents. Uh, yeah. Europe, Europe, Northern South America, Asia, and Africa. And I think you've mentioned that before. Yeah. And it's... And, Buchetta would also become the first Italian mafioso to become an informer and testify for the government. Uh, his testimony would lead to the imprisonment of over 450 Italian mafia uh, members, and and he also helped with a lot of convictions over here in the United States. So let's uh, let's look at Mr. Buchetta and see where he came from. Guess what? He was born in poverty in Palermo, Sicily. Can you believe that? I'm shocked. Are you I'm shocked? Shocked. <laughs> and he turned to crime. I can't believe it. Anyhow, in 1929, his father was a glazier and worked with glass, and, and his family and himself over the years mm -hmm. would open up glass companies and be involved in the glass business. Uh, started out with, you know, like all of them in the United States, all the professional criminals, they started out with petty crimes and during World War II. He's a. You know, it's like 1930 by World War II. 1940, he is about 30 years old or a little bit less. He got involved in cigarette smuggling. Hundreds of thousands of American and British troops were in Europe for quite a while after the end of the war in 1945. And, and the governments from both countries mm -hmm. were sending cigarettes over because right. everybody smoked. Back yeah, then, you had to go to the smoke, doctor. there was something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, go the doctor. He doesn't <laughs> smoke. There's something wrong with him. <laughs> and, and so you know, there's all these cigarettes out there, and plenty of corrupt quartermasters in in both militaries to uh, sell these uh, cases and cases of cigarettes. And these uh, Sicilian mafia dudes uh, found this was pretty lucrative. And there's a big demand for American cigarettes. 
Yeah, when I when I went to Europe, that was you know I went I went to Ukraine back in '95 to Kiev, and if you had like I had American cigarettes, I mean that we got out of parking tickets. I mean not we got out of traffic tickets with not not a pack, but just giving them a couple of a couple of American cigarettes. The cops would just let us. I mean I was with a guy who was I, I wasn't talking to cops like that, but the guy I was with was like, no, they just they just want American cigarettes. It's it's big deal. So he got married the first time, a lady named Cavallero, uh, 1944, and they had three kids real quick. He kind of did his uh, his duty <laughs> to God and country by knocking out three kids right away. I'll end up, and I mentioned this before, there's uh, there's troubles in the mafia in Sicily, and, and he and his family go to Brazil in 1949, and Bailamonte will go to Brazil. The Italians have uh, long preferred Brazil as a place to go when things get hot. And Tommaso will go back and forth to Brazil several times and really create a, a mm-hmm. whole life over there. He'll end up marrying somebody from Brazil and 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 kind of having a second family over there, which is really unusual. I was just discussing this with uh, Bill Owsley, uh, my FBI agent friend, that that Tommaso he got uh, yeah divorced yeah he was times. and in and that was that's unheard yeah, of. Yeah, that was that was something that, that, that later on in the trials they sort of spoke to. But he was known for being such a womanizer. But yeah, he he got he had several divorces, which like you said, especially being a Sicilian. I mean, that's frowned on here, and but but the Sicilian that's that's a really big deal. Well, that that dude yeah. Salvatore Reina, he he testifies and he's trying to to denigrate the testimony of Buscetta. And he said, well, look, he said, you know, he's been, he runs around with women. He's been married several times. And, yeah. and this is a guy they yeah. call the beast. He's so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Did you know he, he hid in plain sight when, and was wanted in, in the small island of Sicily for 12 years uh, before they finally brought him in on the... Uh, uh, he was, he was safe in his own, case. he was safe in his own little town, you know. They weren't going to, they weren't going to go in there and get him, you know. <laughs> really? So this is kind of like in the 50s, I'd say that's kind of mm-hmm. the first time we see his connection, this Gaetano Barlamente, and he probably knew him from probably from the time he was a kid, but you kind of start seeing some different uh, meetings that he went to. He was at that one main mob meeting with Lucky Luciano in 1957, and Barlamente was there, and they were talking, and Bonat, Joe Bonanno was there, and, and Carmine Glente, so they, I'm sure that's when they were setting up the... The drug operation, but he'd already been involved with cigarette smuggling with Bartolomente, and uh, he was uh, he was kind of a, 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 a rounder. I mean, a lot of these Italian guys will have a mob guy. It's not correct to say Italian guys particularly, but mob <laughs> guys will always have a wife and a girlfriend. But this yeah. guy would have several girlfriends, and yeah, several yeah, right. wives. Raina, he said he was sexually immoral. <laughs> <laughs> it's one thing killing a thousand people and blowing up judges, but I'm. I'm not sexually immoral. I only had one wife. I don't care how many judges I blew up. Very progressive view of uh, uh, murder as opposed to marriage. Tommaso was at this October 1957 meeting, as I mentioned, at the Grand Hotel de Palmas in Palermo, and Badalamente was there. And this will actually be kind of confirmed by Joe Bonanno years later when he writes his memoirs. He mentions that he was in... He was in Sicily, Sicily at the time. He was in Palermo at the time. Um, so that's, that's, you know, that's... I think he says in his book he even saw Luciano. I can't remember. I read that book years ago. And I think he says something about seeing seeing Luciano at that time. But he definitely was in Palermo. Of course, he wasn't there for anything to do with a drug conference. He was just there visiting family. But, you know, that, it's Joe Bonanno. But, 
yeah, he was. He definitely did say he was there. But as we mentioned last time, there's this, this big meeting that's pretty well documented. The Italian police documented it and eventually sent mm-hmm. the report to the FBI in the United States when they finally started working together. Uh, there's actually, they say there's a series of meetings between the major Sicilian mafia families and Joe Bonato, Lucky Luciano, and Carmine Galente. And, and uh, I'm pretty sure Carlo Gambino was there too. And, uh, you know, that's when they were setting up all these. Uh, things and uh, all these uh, smuggling routes and, and connections to to get that heroin started back to the United States because in 1957 that's when they were losing the uh, French connection yeah slowly but surely it was still would go for a while and they didn't really bust it up until the 60s in the uh, French connection book and movie but I think they knew it was on its way out and uh, by that point in time. And, now, and that was the Lucchese family, too, that was really big there. With, oh, that's uh, right, it uh, was, it was. But the, it, uh, I mean, it was the Bonanos were big with it, too, but it was the Lucchese's who ultimately got busted for the uh, for the uh, French connection. That was uh, They're the ones who got tied up with it. The Bonanos kept doing what they were doing. So then right after that, by 1962, there was a, a problem with the drug shipment to America, there was a problem between a couple of clans, the uh, Grecos and La Bar- Bar- Barberas. And we talked about this last week, too, so I won't really belabor this, but a, a, a total shipment was missing or it was light when it got to the United States. And there was a big battle between the Grecos and La Barberas. And, and as they started trying to kill each other, you know, I, I mentioned before they had a, a commission going, and the commission couldn't seem to handle this thing. Yeah. Uh, all right, so we've got this we've got this mob war going on about this disputed heroin shipment and they've stepped it up from from shooting at one another to they've they've started using bombs so they set up this one bomb in about in April of 1963 there is a bomb in uh, a town called Chekuli and six military police officers step in to try and deactivate the bomb they just they they figure they'll handle it right there and the bomb explodes killing all six officers, and so you've got this major loss of life, but it, it, it's like we spoke about before, Gary. I mean, whenever you see this this level of loss of life, especially with, with police, uh, this little town, Kachuli uh, was, Chakuli is, is really where, where it, they, they drew the line for this mafia. This was, that was, that was a, a final, final straw for a lot of people. I remember now, they, they cracked down on a big time, uh, 117 suspects in the next five years. Damn. The uh, uh, whole clans would disband. Everybody went into hiding and uh, cost them a lot of money. Uh, they yeah. said reduced most of them to poverty for a while. Of course, they're resilient. They'll come back. And it was during this time, <laughs> oh, uh, our man Tom- Tommaso Brichetta, he takes off and goes to Brazil. And, That's, yeah, and he fled uh, to Brazil uh, the first time. He, he he marries one woman. Two years later, he marries his third and final wife, uh, a woman named Guimaraes. <laughs> uh, he has four children with her. Now, if you and watch she's, that, she was a good what? She was twenty years younger than he. Yeah, she was. Right? She was. She was much younger much younger. She yeah. was. She was a real, real, uh, real attractive young woman. I've she seen was, the pictures when they first yeah, got together. They've so got a lot of you know in that our Godfather. They've got a lot of home footage. Did you notice that? Yeah, they, the family. Yeah, yeah. Really, Family really worked with that filmmaker on yeah, that documentary absolutely. to get that home footage. So he's in he's in Brazil. He's half of his family is still living in Italy, but he's there with his new with his new wife, and she already had uh, children uh, at the time, didn't she? Uh, you know, I think so. But they had four yeah, children together, together. They had four. Yeah, that's right. That's right. 
Uh, part of his history, of course, is the cigarette smuggling, and that's how he really got into the drug smuggling world, along with Bottle of Mente. And, and, and they worked with a Corsican named Pascal Molinelli and, and another gangster from Tangiers named Salomon Gomelets. Uh, yeah, if you notice, these guys are from all around the Mediterranean. Yeah. Think about it. Yeah. That's, that's like this small world all the way around. There's, you know, in, in St. Louis, Missouri, there's a, a Syrian faction of that what they call the Syrian mafia and, and down in uh, I believe it's El Paso that Jimmy Chagger he's Lebanese and and he and it's like the Lebanese mafia was down in El Paso so all around the Mediterranean in different countries mm-hmm. Greece or whatever they've got these different mafias that's right that have these criminal organizations they refer to as mafia it's not just the Sicilian mafia Sicilian mafia is you know their own thing but they've got all these others and they yeah, yeah, they're just one on Sicily. Yeah, then you got you know Corsica and and, and Tangiers and, and and all of them. Yeah, corrupt uh, corrupt body of water there on the map. <laughs> <laughs> really, I was trying to think of this before. It's the Guardia di Fianza, which is the like the tax police, uh, military yeah. style Italian. Yeah, police. the finance. Yeah, that's that's uh, uh, the, finance the, the, the finance police. Yeah, I read that they investigate any threats to the commerce, and and those are the ones that were going after the cigarette smugglers and. Yeah. After that uh, massacre, and he's he's fled country and ends up down in Brazil. He's uh, convicted in absentia as being part as part of that massacre. I don't know if he really was or not, but I think they really didn't care. Yeah, he was in a leadership role. Yeah. He's he's involved. You know, and, and this is like the later sixties, sixty eight, I think. And and so by yeah. by nineteen seventy, he's arrested in Brooklyn, New York. We find him in Brooklyn, New York. I thought that was interesting. I, did I, I didn't know that that he was actually in in Brooklyn and, and got arrested. Uh, you know, that was a it was an interesting time. I, I didn't see that. Rep- I'd like to I'd like to see who he was with and all. And that that would be interesting. I don't think uh, I looked that up. I don't think we really know exactly who he's with because they didn't know. Right. They didn't know he was who he was until later. No, on. They didn't even know who he was. Then, right. Though. Now uh, he. he like I said, he's gone to Brazil, and it's during this time when you see that documentary, you can tell his face looks funny. He's had plastic surgery, and he even had vocal cord yeah. surgery in order to try to change his voice up. Uh, I'm not sure why he did that, if they were doing that many wiretaps back then so they couldn't <laughs> recognize your voice. But you know, that's kind well, of that's... a big deal. When you're on a wiretap, you got to identify that voice. Somebody has to yeah. identify a voice, and, and so these guys... That's, that, that's uh, a good point. That, work them all the time they'll know different people's voices as soon as they hear it yeah and they'll know a, another voice that never i've never heard that voice before and there's people some people yeah, are better right. than others with that and, and so maybe he did it to try to change up if he thought he'd been tapped sometime and he wanted to change up his voice uh, who knows that's not it's interesting i hadn't you know I, I that's something that you would that you have insight into that i wouldn't but yeah i guess i guess when you're listening to them you recognize some of the voices day in day oh yeah you, you talk to those guys that sit on those wiretaps that <laughs> certain people's voices they know them immediately i mean they could they, they could hear up uh, five years ten years after that that i say yep that's you know <laughs> that's tuffy de luna <laughs> <laughs> I've listened to those wiretaps that I got from the government uh, so long, so many times. I could probably call. I know I could identify Nick Sobel's yeah. voice. Just real nasally, uh, <laughs> kind of a, uh, not a hillbilly, but it's real nasally kind of a thing with a slight southern accent. I always think that's interesting. Yeah. Kansas City yeah. Mafia's guys have a slight southern accent. <laughs> I, I think that is funny about your guys. When I've heard Cork and Nick speak and, and, and Tuffy, they do have an accent. It is kind of funny. <laughs> 
So he's been banished. He and Badalamente both are banished from Sicily. Uh, there's another mafia war going on. I tell you, these guys are something else. Uh, Americans have been dealing with these Palermo-based clans, and uh, but Badalamente and Tommaso are definitely with the Bonanos by this point in time, and and. Yeah, uh, they stick with them. There's another Palermo mafia boss named Salvatore Inzarello who was connected with the Gambino family and was always really close to Carlo Gambino. And you know, Carlo Gambino will bring over a bunch of uh, of Sicilians to have another crew, the Cherry Hill yeah. mob today. And they were all like third cousins or something because their last name was uh, Gambino. And what we're going to see out of these guys is is both families, Bonanno and Gambino, they want to stay in drugs, so they bring over Sicilians to distance themselves from the drug operation, even though... Yeah, they just subcontract right, it out. Right, and, and they can always say, well, hey, that's those zips, you know, I don't know what they were doing. And and all that's going to happen to them is, is they'll be deported. They, they're not going to face the, the, the... Rarely are they going to face the, the 10 and 15-year drug sentence. They'll probably just be deported because why, why would you want to put them in, in prison here for 15 years when you just kick them out of the country, send them back to Italy, make them, make them Italy's fault, if Italy will take them. Uh, I think you see that more often, of course, during, late, during the later trial in the, in the 80s, you see some things. But that that would be the, if I've got my guys, it'll either be deported or I've got my, my key my key earners who could be put in jail for, for 15 years. I'm going to I'm going to bring in the guys from outside. So now during this time, you know, that Badalamente and, and Tommaso are, they've got this connection going with the crime families in, in New York and and back in Sicily, you got this uh, guy I mentioned before called the Beast or Salvatore. Salvatore Reno. Reno, yeah. He's, uh, you know, he's came up the hard way like everybody else, and he came up in Corleone. Sort of more rural area than, uh, yeah, much much more more rural sort of outside than. I mean, the whole Sicily is sort of a rural area, but but Corleone is is way out in the the country considered. The Corleonesi uh, group are out of Corleone, Sicily, but the other Corleonesi. And they consider themselves the true mafiosi, uh, the more more rural. They've not been cityfied, I guess would be would be, or maybe more. They're more living by the true mafia principles of of the more rural areas, and they are more true to their roots. And Rena is the leader of that of that faction, and so they decide they want to take over. I mean, rather than form any sort of partnerships, ships the court Leonesi want to take over the drug business from guys like Badalamenti and uh, Salvatore Insurillo, and who Insurillo sort of bounces back and forth. But and then our guy Tommaso Buscetta, he and Badalamenti were both kicked out of the country, so they don't really have much foot in the ground. And and Rina sees that as an opportunity. So while his two main competitors are out of the country. His more rural guys are going to step in, and they're just going to seize the entire drug business. And the American mafios, they were like, well, I mean, the other guys were okay, but as long as you get us the product, we don't give a shit who we're buying it from. That will create, uh, they, they actually, the Corleonesi, oh, I can't say that, man. <laughs> <laughs> Raina and, and these guys from Corleone will really take over Sicily for the most part. They, they in, in some ways, they win. And Badalamente and yes. Tommaso, they have to go to Brazil and yeah. the United States and, and just but they already had their connections set up. So if you're gonna do anything in, in Sicily, you gotta deal with the beast yeah. or Salvatore Reina. Uh it was during and and they're in a head to head battle That's right. with uh 
Balamente and, and Bouchet are in a head-to-head battle with Reina, uh, and it, and it, it's devastating to Bouchet. Two of his sons by his first wife disappear, and they're never found again. And and uh, I learned a new term when I was reading about that. It's called uh, 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 Blanca Lupara, which means a uh, which means a white shotgun. When you don't find their body, it's a Blanca, Blanca Lupara. Lupara. Yeah, I've never yeah. heard that before. Yep, that's interesting. I think they did know they found out that his his sons were were I think tortured, right? They were they they were they they must have been tortured horribly. Uh, but this this when you think mob war, you think a couple guys here like like y'all had with the River Key, or we've had a couple things in Chicago. This was hundreds and hundreds of guys and their families gunned down in the streets, bombs going off. This literally, I think there were yeah. what a thousand thousand people who are killed as part of this mob war. I mean, this was war. This was total war. And it's it's one family against another family. This isn't this isn't like, you know, what was going on with the chop shops here, the banana war or the river key or, or any of that going on around the country. This was thousand this is over a thousand guys were killed and this this is like a two or three year period, the second mafia war. I mean they were really going at it, blowing people up. It was it was a really, really bad time in Italy. They were made just massive explosions going on, leveling the streets. I mean you see some of the footage. They they just are destroying buildings. Just, it was bad. A lot of collateral damage. Like the old West or something. It was crazy. And that's why, you know, Buchetta and, and Bonamante yeah. stayed over and out of the country. They had to stay out of the country. And, and then it's this whole thing, now, uh, Buchetta, he didn't like to yeah. stay with the same wife, but he had a lot of feeling for his family. And uh, he ended up, there was an, a murder warrant for him from Italy, and, and he was being extradited back. And and he knew that this was a death sentence. And I think he just, after what else, he'd had his brother had been killed. His uh, son-in-law, uh, Giuseppe Genova, his uh, brother was Vincenzo, and yeah. his brother-in-law Pietro. And he had four nephews killed uh, by this point in time. And and they yeah they weren't all involved either. Some of them, they just just they were killed for being for being related to him. Some of them hadn't I think maybe hadn't even haven't even hadn't seen him for years. But it was that was that was how they got that was the Sicilian mafia would kill family. So this broke him, and this is unusual as heck. But it broke him. He even attempted suicide by taking uh, yeah. an overdose of barbiturates when they were bringing him back to Italy. So he gets back to Italy. Uh, he asked to see the uh, real famous at the time anti mafia judge Giovanni Falcone. Falcone, and uh, he offers to become an informant. And, and you know, I learned a new word here, the penitente. Penitito, yeah. Penitito? Yeah. I, penititos. Yeah, los, los penititos. Yeah, and, there, and there, there's a lot of them now, but he was the first. And he was a boss, too. He was yeah. not just um, yeah. uh, working still. Absolutely. So he, he offers to come in uh, and uh, set everybody straight on how to do it. The Americans go over and they debrief him, and, and he's going to end up testifying uh, because he knows more about what's going on in Italy. He doesn't really know so much about what's going on on the ground in, in the United States. Plus, there's a whole other investigation going. This pizza connection yeah. is going on in the United States. And, and so they don't. They end up having two different trials and two different investigations. The Italian have their investigations, and the uh, Americans have their investigation. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so he was, he was uh, uh, instrumental in both, but he was more instrumental over in Sicily. It's my understanding. I think he provided mostly information. What I what I kind of got is that 
he provided a lot of information as far as how things are done here, not on a street level, but meaning like we have these, you know, the Gambino has family has this connection to the old world or, or the Bonanno family has this connection or these are how these connections are formed. And these are the sort of the trade routes that are taking place. And he, I believe it was, it was Bichetta that helped them understand that there are a lot of Sicilians here in pizza, fa- that, that own pizza shops across the country who are related to Badalamente, his nephews and his sons and all that, who own these pizza shops and they're the ones distributing the heroin. I thought that came from, that information came from, from Bouchetta, that, that Badalamente's distribution network was, was, was set up here. But I don't think he knew who was doing what, but he knew that these were his relatives here selling the heroin. And I tell you what, this uh, Salvatore Reina, the beast, he went crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, when this happened, he, he was terrified. Uh, he even, I, I'd not heard of this before, he even organized a terror attack on a passenger train in 1984. To slow down the investigation, yeah. Thought that would slow down the investigation. And, and they bombed a train inside of a 10-mile-long tunnel in the Appian Pass in the mountains up in the Alps. There was a long difficult rescue of people that were trapped in there and of course an investigation uh, uh, there were some allegations that the American mafia assisted with the yeah. explosives I, I kind of doubt that but uh, they may have uh, I, I did read that but I can't I indirectly they might have gotten some explosives but there's somebody I'm sure they can get explosives over there without needing anything from from over here right, it just it just right. doesn't make sense <laughs> yeah it doesn't make sense but sounds good you can, you right. can use that to denigrate the American mafia right right exactly <laughs> so finally they've heading Buchetta out in the United States on a, like a, a military base I think all along and and they're going to have a trial they call it the Maxi trial 475 defendants they built a special courtroom that's a structurally reinforced building and 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 the cells were all around the outside of the courtroom and yeah. if you go to if you see that our godfather you'll see the inside of that courtroom those cells each had you know what anywhere from 10 to 15 it's just full uh, of people defendants in it yeah yeah and, and then and floor to ceiling with that with that bulletproof glass Right, and as you said, they're like doing the hand signals, trying to intimidate witnesses. And <laughs> our friend Tommaso has to go and testify with 475 of his former mafia associates yelling and screaming. <laughs> they're beating on the glass, and yeah, it's, it's like I said, it's like Italian family Thanksgiving. But I mean, they're they're just waving <laughs> hands and 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 I mean, very intricate hand gestures that my people are capable of. More than like. <laughs> oh, more than just taking your time. Uh, the people are listening to us. I'm part of this. More than just taking your uh, your, your thumb and putting it up on your teeth and then flipping Biting it your out. Knuckles and yeah, <laughs> or biting your hand. <laughs> right. Go- Google that, folks out there. Uh, Italian mafia hand gestures. You'll find a bunch of uh, fun little things. <laughs> Laugh. I'm glad I wasn't involved in that. It looks like a madhouse when you watch it on TV. I mean, they're just beating on the glass and screaming and yelling. Yeah, it's, 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 it's crazy. Yeah, I would say hell. There's there's got to be fifty guys per. Th- I mean, it's just full of people screaming and yelling in those in those bulletproof glass cells. But for the first time, a couple other people came in and testified too. It broke their omerta. And, uh, Italian law enforcement yeah. now understood what the mafia was all about. Finally, they had really lived in denial for a long time except for a few people like this Giovanni Falcone, and, and he will, uh, they will go after him big time. 
Uh, we're going to talk more about him. I've got an FBI agent that knew him personally, so we'll talk more about him. But but long story short, they set a bomb, a huge bomb, in a place where his car, they can't get him. So they figure out where yeah. his car is going to pass by a certain place, and they set a huge bomb and set that bomb off as his car goes by and, and ends yeah. up killing him. That's the only way they could get him. Because he had, uh, you know, extreme kind of uh, of uh, security around him when he was in Sicily. I understand he was really quite relieved when he came to the United States several times to participate in conferences with the FBI and talk to them. And, and this FBI agent, I was talking to him, I could tell that he had great respect for uh, Judge Falcone. Uh, and so he could kind of relax when he came over here <laughs> and not feel like the, like the uh, entire country's trying to kill you. Every move was being watched. Really, yeah. Sicily's not that big yeah. a place. The United States, you can kind of you can go out in the far out suburbs. Yeah, right. People, unless they're following you on the way out, they're not going. Nobody's going to see you. Uh, Buchetta will live out the rest of his life uh, in witness protection in the United States, moving around a lot. Uh, mm -hmm. Mostly in Florida, is my understanding. If you notice some of those clips and the home movies in that uh, documentary, uh, yeah, were apparently from probably Florida or somewhere down south. It looked like Florida to me. Yeah, his his family had a hard time with the moving around. I think his 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 children they understood to an extent they were in danger when a couple things would happen. But but yeah, it was it was it couldn't have been too easy having to give up your entire identity and all for your kids to to have to. They would say he was in imports or they had to to make up what their father did. And yeah, that'd be an interesting uh, show to get somebody a child who was raised in witness protection. To talk about that right. life, that'd be interesting. I, I had yeah. a connection to one maybe at one time, but that guy's never. I even tried to get him to call me back here recently, and, and he never called me back. I don't know. He was a Kansas City guy, and he, he was, you know, he was talking about. It. He knew this kid and knew the guy's father, and, and uh, all of a sudden he, he quit calling me back, and he wouldn't return my calls. I don't know what happens sometimes. People get nervous after they talk notice after they talk to me then they're there they worry about what they said what i'm going to do with it. i'm not going to do anything with it folks and i'm not going to reveal your name uh, on the air but uh, i understand yeah uh, one, one last thing on uh, our friend tomaso he wants to go back to italy one more time as he's getting older and uh, salvatore <laughs> reina has been arrested so he thinks it might be safe well, he gets recognized immediately and has to be evacuated immediately. And He's on a cruise ship. They made him dock the cruise ship early because the bombing potential. Yeah. <laughs> Crazy. That'd be worse than being stuck on a quarantine cruise ship. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> oh, man. But by 2000, he dies of cancer. Uh, he's survived by his uh, much younger wife, and they had two sons and a daughter together. His, his youngest son died in a car crash not long after he died. It's kind of a, a tragic yeah. life in the end, although I would imagine you wouldn't feel too sorry for him if you saw how he lived when he was in his 20s and 30s and 40s before he, 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 they broke him. He paid the price. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he did sort of do, I think he did what he could to sort of offset a lot of things that were done. But yeah, it was definitely, uh, definitely a lot of damage done early on before he, before he decided to inform. Really? But it was kind of like what happened with with Gravano. Is is I think they changed the rules. Uh, 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 Salvatore Arena changed the rules and started killing everybody. So he kind of backed people into yeah, a corner. Yeah, what else could he do? He killed off his whole family, and and you either and you can't get right. to him to kill him back. And 
uh, again, as you know, as, as Gandhi said, you know, you, uh, if you start blinding everybody, then the whole world's blind. An eye for an eye, eventually the whole world's yeah. going to be blind. And, and by then, yeah. that eye for an eye thing, he realized was was not really working so well for him. Yeah, yeah, and it, it, he really see he it looked like based on based on the footage that they had and what his family said, he really struggled with with the aftermath of going in, of of informing and breaking Omerta. I mean that that was all. Those were that was sacred things to him. So when he when he broke Omerta and had to completely change his life, that was a, that that must have been a, a a cataclysmic change going from from one side of the of the the coin to the other. That must have been a major major flip. These Sicilians, from what I've read as I got into this, uh, they talk about men of honor. They they truly this is a code that they truly live by. These guys over mm-hmm. here, they they mouth the code. But yeah, uh, they don't live the code uh, over there. No, they, not those like... guys truly live the code of honor, and it was—I mean—it was hugely important to them to stick with that code of honor, and, and he couldn't do it. I think that's why they're bringing more Sicilians over nowadays, is because you know, not just that the Sicilians will stick to it, but Sicilians will will go after family. So a lot of these, you know, for years you've had a lot of informing in the American mob. Well, now if you get these. More and more Sicilian guys, like you see with the Gambino family, like Frank Cali, he's he was Sicilian. Uh, the more Sicilians you have, the more at risk someone's family may be if they decide to inform. Really, I mean, I, Bill Alzin again. I keep referring to Bill, but he's my he's my guy here, and and he had this insight that the reason we haven't had any decent informants in Kansas City that came in and really testified, and we really haven't, was because Kansas City is a small town, and, and so you. Mm-hmm. Leave extended family behind. You leave mm-hmm. cousins, and uh, you know if you're from a big family, you know your whole all you know seven of your brothers and sisters aren't going to go into witness protection with you. So you're gonna, they're yeah. just going to take your immediate family, your children, your spouse. That's right. And only they take a sibling only if they testified or done something also. So those people are all left here in Kansas City. Now they weren't going to kill them, but they were going to ostracize them. And, and yeah. so now you bring these Sicilians over and make them part of your thing. Those dudes will kill them. <laughs> and, and and you think twice about going off and leaving your brothers and your sisters behind uh, and their your nieces and nephews if you think some of your enemies are going to just go kill them. Yeah, it makes it makes sense. He, that that kind of fallout for the family. I mean, it's one thing if you could could disappear, but you, if everybody knows everybody. I guess yeah. that's kind of how it is on Sicily, you know. It, yeah. Everybody, everybody knows everybody, so yeah. If uh, you're a veteran and you think you might have a problem with uh, PTSD, or if you have a, a close friend or loved one that's a veteran, you have a problem with PTSD, call the local vet center. Uh, I don't. Everybody's got a different one in every city, but or a VA hospital in your area. But there's a national hotline. It's uh, 800-273-8255, and be sure and press 1 if you're a vet when you go to that uh, uh, PTSD hotline. Or you can go to the website, www.ptsd.va.gov. Uh, that, that site, I looked at that site, and it's got a lot of resources mm-hmm. on it. If, you're, if it's your brother or your spouse or whatever, why go to that website, you'll get a lot of resources, and, then, and you can learn a lot about this problem of PTSD. You know, I used to do it for drugs and alcohol. First call, I got onto this by talking to a fan, and I decided to change my public service yeah. announcement to that. Plus, it's more nationally uh, uh, connected with, with a national website and a national uh, uh, telephone number. Right. So anyhow, having said all that, uh, 
Cam, I appreciate you being there. You know, uh, don't forget, I've got a movie and a, a couple of movies out there. And I've got my Kansas City Mob, Mob Tour, tour book. You got your uh, you got your book out. Mob Tour book. Got my book out. Kindle version with, with the, the uh, actual audio connected to the transcripts that are used in the book at Leaving Vegas. How FBI wiretaps in the mob domination of Las Vegas casinos. Boy, that's a hell of a mouthful I made for that title. <laughs> <laughs> you, you had known then what you, you know, know now. Cam, you slimmed it down a little. <laughs> really, you're a writer. Some of the hardest things to do in writing something is come up yeah, with a title. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> a- abso- yeah, you, that is absolutely. I'm sure you've yes, been there. Yes, definitely. You know, Cam, Cam's a writer. Cam's a screenwriter. He's, uh, Asp- he's working on getting some stuff sold. And- aspiring. <laughs> but but aspiring? I'm aspiring. Well, I'm aspiring awful damn hard. <laughs> <laughs> you just need an agent. Three agents out there that are interested in mob yeah, scripts. Right. We got some. <laughs> That's right. I tell you what, anybody show they call them showrunners. I think for Amazon mm-hmm. and Netflix, those guys are always looking for original content. You you've got that stuff. You you take original content and then kind of fictionalize it and make it into a story. And those are the best movies, yeah. I think, and the best uh, uh, um, what do you call those uh, uh, series? You know, a friend of mine was uh, I was kind of out of narcotics by the time The Wire came along, which was mainly about black narcotics in the inner city. But I worked enough of that to know that on The Wire, man, they had that stuff that right on. Everything on there was so accurate. So I'm talking to a friend of mine, a sergeant in the narcotics unit during that time. And 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 she said, you know, she said, we used to get so mad because we'd go, those guys are giving away everything that we do, you know, the, the beepers and cloning the beeper and, and uh, uh, getting on the cell phones and, and finding the pay phones and, and uh, putting all that together, you know, getting the, the beeper and then figuring out that it was going to a certain pay phone and, and like one pay phone. They, they needed to put a guy there at that payphone, and they went to a trash can that was right next to it and pulled up, and they knew it. Somebody had just been there at that phone, and they pulled a beer can or soda can out of that trash can that was right next to the payphone. They got his fingerprint off. No it, shit. So they could say, yeah, he's been there. <laughs> That's the kind of deal when you're, he's denying that That's he was right. someplace. Then you say, well, you say you've never, ever been to this uh, uh, quick trip here up in North Baltimore. Never, ever have I been there. I said, well, how come we found this soda can with your fingerprints <laughs> on it right next to that payphone that had this damning call on it? <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, the tricks you have to resort to to, to get these guys because they get slick. Mm. So, yeah, that, that, one, that one was real. That thing was ripped from reality for sure, and a lot of the other things have been too. So I guess that's probably enough to uh, selling stuff. Uh, got anything else, Cam? I mean, I'm uh, I'm good, man. Just just glad All to right. be here. Well, I appreciate it. Good night, folks. Thank Take you, care, Cam. now. Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey. <laughs>